welcome to The Knowing Podcast. We're here to talk about healing, about insight, about cultivating and living from our own internal wisdom, and about the intention to live beautifully and compassionately as a human being during these times. We're really happy you're here. Hey everyone, welcome to The Knowing Podcast. It is just me today, just Ciel. Um, I wanted to take an episode of this podcast to do something that feels on some level a little bit strange for me to sit and talk about myself for however long this might take. Um, but I also, I, I've often over the last 10 years of doing this practice and work in the world have had people really curious about my path and how I came to this work. Um, I think that maybe without even being able to articulate it, we all have this sort of understanding that a person's medicine, what they offer to the world as medicine, be that, you know, their music, their art, their, you know, actual herbal, whatever creations that they might contribute, um, is linked very intimately and, and very intensely to their path. And and our path kind of determines the type of medicine that we are able to offer to the world. And this is certainly a central tenet of shamanic practice, you know, this concept of the archetype of the, the wounded healer, you know, that we go through experiences of um, deep difficulty or challenge and through that experience we develop medicine we develop insight and and the capacity to heal not just ourselves but other people and and then we are able to you know disseminate that medicine or offer it to other people when they are going through something similar and so I hope to offer my own life journey you know truly not as a sort of movement towards narcissism on this platform but but as hopefully an opportunity for you to see yourself in um, my own experiences because I think that a lot of them are fairly universal um, and then feel maybe more connected to the path and maybe have some of your questions about how one comes into shamanic practice and um, doing this kind of healing work in the world and maybe have some of them answered I don't know uh, that is my intention. So I, yeah, I just thought I'd sit here and ramble for a little bit about the experiences that I've had in my lifetime and realizing, you know, when I started thinking about how to frame this and how to even start, you know, starting at the beginning some 39 years ago, um, but not really having a lot to say, um, rather maybe disappointingly, about my childhood, you know, where I've listened to other people, other teachers and healers talk about how, you know, they could move things with their mind when they were children or they like knew things and they were um, somehow like tuned into something and they had all these sensory experiences that were incredible. And, and I, you know, some part of me kind of wants to make something up to be like, yes, I was so special, but I think I was a pretty normal kid, pretty fairly normal in in most ways hypersensitive and really acutely aware of people um I think my superpower might have been knowing when people were lying because I could always tell when people were lying but I didn't move anything with my mind I I wasn't capable of inducing some shakti experience in people just be by sitting beside them um but 
yeah, I was I was normal. I loved animals and nature, and I was terrified of nature too. Um, and I loved art and music, and I had a really phenomenal mother who, you know, encouraged us to do a lot of different musical and and academic sort of experiences and pursuits. And yeah, I mean, I was really afraid for most of my childhood, terrified. I, I made the mistake of watching Gremlins when I was eight and shit got really weird after that, you know, like they were everywhere. I didn't trust my hamsters anymore. You know, they were like these cute fluffy little things that then all of a sudden, like, God, you pour water on them and they turn into like demonic agents from Satan. Like they were just awful. And so I, I, I know it <laughs> sounds ridiculous even saying it, but like truly that, that movie really messed me up. And I didn't sleep alone till I was about 15. My poor older sister had to deal with me like being terrified all the time. So so yeah, I think that would maybe imply that I was a pretty sensitive kid. Um, yeah, and and I, I thought about things a lot. I thought a lot. I, I wrote a lot when I was a kid. I have a lot of books of poetry, which is really strange. Um, and uh, yeah, felt things deeply. I had a deep connection, as I've referenced in a previous episode, to coyotes. Not in a good way, though. I didn't think they were, you know, some ally guardian for me. I thought they were trying to eat me and probably my whole family. And bears, too. Um, I, I did once have a very prophetic dream about bears and managed to escape a bear because of this sort of experience um, that informed me of what was going to happen. But, but generally, life was pretty normal as a kid. Um, I think my sensitivity to the world around me really drove me to pursue academic excellence as a child. And so I did really well in school, really from an anxiety sort of position. Um, I just, I, I have a very, very good memory. And so I would just memorize everything, but I was always pretty tense, I think, as, as a, especially as an adolescence. And then I, I started to become aware of the reality that other people had an experience of me and were assessing me and, and you know, noticing me. And so became a l very obsessed, actually, with physical appearance and dieting and exercise. And that really kind of carried through my adolescent years and into my 20s and um, became kind of the the ground of, of a theme for most of my early 20s of, of being very obsessed with things in the outside world and other people's experiences of me and really dissociating from my own inner voice and, and my own perspectives. Um, not surprisingly, that led to some early depressive symptoms. I left high school. Um, so I actually grew up, I should have prefaced, about three, four kilometers down the road from where I live right now. So um, I live outside of a very small town called Horsefly in central British Columbia. And I'm actually fifth generation. My kids are sixth generation. Um, my last name is Patanod. And we are this fifth generation Patanods to live in this area. So I really, I have a deep connection to this land. My dad still lives here, my siblings. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I returned here, God, five years ago, six years ago. So, so I left here though, after finishing high school when I was a kid and went to the University of Victoria. I pursued a degree in biology because I loved science. Um, I also had a career and personal planning counselor who 
looked at a list of you know top grossing careers basically and said oh you're you know academically successful so you should pick the top one which was a biochemist so I said well I'll do that and, and so you can see how at that point I really wasn't thinking about what I wanted I remember this little voice in me going be an artist you want to be an artist and I just there was there was no space for it in in my whole kind of world at that time so I went to school for biology um, promptly like flailed wildly and just crashed and burned and uh, left school after the first year after being I think I was medicated for that that first year yeah I was medicated for the first time that year for for depression and then left school went down to Mexico lived in the condominium on the ocean and worked at a surf shop for a little bit, flailed even more wildly there. Um, I was not particularly good at regulating my emotions at that time at all. Um, came back and got into a relationship with someone that was, was a very destructive and very chaotic and intense for about two and a half years, um, which included me moving down to the Caribbean twice and a lot of chaos. And it was, it was a... It was a bad scene um, and left me f very broken at the end of it, very uh, even more so incapable of navigating what was going on for me. Um, and yeah, I came back to Victoria, went back to school and started seeing a psychiatrist uh, who was wonderful and saved me in so many ways and also was in many ways you know very committed to the kind of biomedical model of psychiatry and it's like diagnostics and medication so I was diagnosed with um, bipolar disorder and mild schizophrenia and attention deficit and I was medicated for all of those things and depression and so I was on a pretty hefty cocktail of things while going to school. Um, and then I decided one day, I don't even know how this happened, actually. I was walking through the mall and, again, being so externally focused and image-focused at the time, I saw these beautiful women working at a MAC cosmetics kiosk in the mall. And I was like, they were listening to super hip music and it looked so fun and I just, I thought... I'd be cool if I did that. And so I had no experience with makeup whatsoever. Um, I mean, I'm an artist, so I thought, I can figure this out. And so I applied and you know, got the job and started working there. And around the same time, also got a job as a bar manager at like this very hip, very cool restaurant, going along with that theme, too, of needing to be seen, needing to be part of some sort of in-group. And so started working there all while going to school full time. And then I started working as the janitor for this restaurant too. So I do that before I went to school in the morning. It was all pretty fucked up, quite honestly. I was I was so medicated that I was completely incapable of like knowing what I was doing and how I was behaving. And um, yeah, I was doing a lot of drugs and drinking a lot still exercising intensely, binging, my, binging, starving myself. I, I was just this like hot mess, this, this fantastic mixture of like pretty much every neurosis that you could possibly imagine. Um, so somehow I got into a relationship with someone at the time and I moved to Calgary and I'd actually finished my biology degree. I moved to Calgary and that relationship ended. They broke up with me, which was devastating. And then I got fired from my job the next day. And for whatever reason, 
the 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 day after that I took myself off all of my medications at the same time. <laughs> and um I don't know why. I honestly, I mean, I know I was running out of some of them and I was like, you know what, maybe it's I'll be fine, you know, like it's time to to figure out what this is. And I also think in some ways though it was like this crazy inner screaming that was like enough yeah like you need to get your shit together like I had gone like so deep into the Calgary party scene and uh, and definitely needed to reassess my my values and how I was showing up in my life and I think that that voice I mean it was chaotic and and certainly you know taking myself off the meds put me into this crazy tailspin that I don't have a lot of memory of it was about seven months of just I don't I don't even know like it was it was bonkers um and but it it was necessary you know it was really necessary for me to actually open my eyes to what was going on in my life and somehow I, th- I guess that's maybe in a, in a way I feel like that's where my story really began was this like descent this this crazy crash in and um Reevaluation, in a sense, of, uh, also a waking up to going, holy shit! Like, what is going on? And during that seven months that um, after I, I took myself off, I somehow stumbled across this um, this article, and it was on happiness. And I just remember, you know, it, it was listing, you know, the countries in the world with the highest levels of happiness, and and there I was with with actually, you know, a fair amount of money, nice shoes, nice clothes, and and doing fairly well, weirdly, on the outset, you know, or from the outside. Um, But it was just a disaster inside. And it said Nepal at the top. And I was like, I guess that's probably where I should go, or I should try to, you know, figure out what they know or something. So I somehow, like, booked a ticket by myself, um... And I, I remember waking up in Bangkok. Like, I, I feel like I woke up when I was in this hostel, like, covered in bites and, you know, by myself. And I was like, how did I get here? This is crazy. Um, and, yeah, I spent, I think, four months or something traveling through Nepal, Thailand, mostly Nepal. I spent 27 days in the mountains just walking pretty much by myself, you know, and I mean, certainly had traveling companions, but people I met along the way, it was this period of actually going, okay, I need to get to know who I am. I need to stop living in the experiences of other people of me, you know, this, this externalizing of my sense of self. And, um, yeah, it was crazy. And I came back and everything was different. I, I, had stopped drinking. I stopped doing drugs. I I couldn't go back into that lifestyle. I mean, it certainly wasn't as smooth as I'm making it out to seem, but, you know, there was this huge transformation and I started working at a yoga studio in Vancouver and I became a raw foodist, you know, which was a shit idea now in retrospect, but it, you know, was me thinking about what I was putting in my body. It was me thinking about what kind of choices I was making. And, yeah, I, I started hanging out with different people, people who were talking about, you know, chakras and and diet systems and dream work. And it was like this whole crazy awakening again. You know, I, my parents are pretty intense hippies, you know, and I'd definitely been exposed to a lot of things. And my dad's like this crazy health nut fanatic, you know, but I'd gone very far from there, you know, and, and kind of lost those roots. And this... This period, it was around when I was 20, 
eight or so, 27, 28, was like this sudden reconnection to these things that I knew were meaningful, like meditation and yoga and and connection to nature and, and not worrying about what kind of shoes you had anymore or how much makeup you had, you know, but but actually creating a a connection to things of value and experiences of yourself as valuable. And around this time, well, while I was working at the yoga studio was the first time that I encountered a shaman. And I got this phone call. I was managing the yoga studio at the time, and I got this phone call from a guy, and I can't remember his name, but he said, hey, I'm a translator for this shaman, and he was, I think, from the Oaxaca area. And he said he doesn't speak English, you know, but he would like to come in. We've heard that you guys are like this healing space, this healing center. Uh, Would you be interested? And it was like this bizarre compulsory like yes you know like I I'd heard of shamanism I was a little bit intrigued and definitely there was this like little like ding 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 kind of feeling going on but I didn't know why you know and I was a little bit terrified of it I think as as a lot of people are when they first encounter the 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 practice but I said yes and I was like please bring this guy in and this guy comes in and I had told you know staff and a couple other people um yoga people from the studio that this was going to happen and there was just a small group of us there and he was talking to us through his translator about you know the universal process and this like transformation that human beings were going through and would continue to go through and then he was offering healings and and uh I mean at the time I didn't have a lot of money I also again was a little bit cautious about this whole shamanic healing process and, um, but he kept saying to me, he's like, you have to have a healing. You need to have a healing. I was like, eh, I don't know about this. And I remember I was sitting on the bench in the studio, um, cause I think he'd come in like two days in a row and he, you know, he said to me, he's like, and he waves his hand you know, around any, the studio and it was filled with like vitamins. And at the time I was very like vitamin and nutrient focused. And I was like diving deep into kind of biomedical science in terms of like holistic health and stuff. And I was really invested in that. And he was like, you know, all these, like these pills, you know, this is, this is all fine, but like, this is not your medicine. You have to be doing um, inner medicine. And like, he kept saying like, something like sort of inside of you or soul or I can't remember how he framed it and you know but he said you need to have healings like you're you're sick and I said I don't know I don't know I don't know I was like humming and hawing about this and so that night um, I went home and I had this dream where I was standing in a sort of nondescript space and this jaguar this gigantic jaguar was walking towards me and came up in front of me and stood up and put its arms around me basically and like enveloped me in this like I, I just melted into the jaguar and for any of you who have ever had a lucid dream I've had several lucid dreams in my life some very very intense ones and when I when they're intense you I have woken up I mean, I hope this happens for you too I've heard it from other people but I wake up with this sense of like absolute perfection. Like there's, there is like a joy that is indescribable that comes through the experience of that dream and you wake up and it's just like infused your whole being. And I, I mean, I don't even want to move in the mornings when I've had a dream like this because it's just, everything is beautiful. And so I had that. I woke up in the morning. I was like, holy shit, like, what was that? Not knowing at all at the time, you know, the association of the, the Jaguar with shamanic practice in South America. But 
I go to work that day and this guy comes in and he's like, okay, so do you believe me now? You know, like basically, I mean, he was like, I went in your dream. Now, you know, do you believe that this is your path? And I, I mean, it's, it's something I maybe, I, I don't live with a lot of regret, you know, but if I did, I would be kicking myself rather intensely for like not taking this man up on having a healing, you know, listening to him, even getting his contact information. I've tried to track him down and there's no way to find him, but I still was like, yeah, I don't know. It's, that's cool that you like walked in my dream like a, you know, as a big cat, but like, you know, I'm sure other people can do that, you know, but I, I, yeah, I did not respond, but it definitely planted the seed of like, okay, this might be something that, um, is part of my path. So anyways, I'd started pursuing, uh, the dream of going to naturopathic medical school, actually just outside of Vancouver. And so I'd gotten all the application stuff together and then um, the owner of this yoga studio in Vancouver would always bring in this palm reader from New York. His name is Singh, Singh Modi. If you ever have the opportunity to track him down in New York, he's amazing. He's a very cool guy. Um, but he, she would bring him over to Vancouver twice a year to like help her know what to do with her business. And I mean, the business was thriving. So, I mean, the guy obviously knew his stuff and he was just this super, super neat man. And he, one day I was in the store and I knew he was coming to town. I hadn't met him yet. And one day I was in the store by myself and he walks in and he just looks at me and he's like, you, I've not read your palm first. You sit down. And I was like, ah, kind of the same thing, you know, shamanism. Like it was super interesting, but I am maybe, I, I'm proud of my skepticism. You know, I think obviously some people who are really intense skeptics would not characterize me as a skeptic, but I do think of myself as a scientist of like, okay, I'm not going to just immediately like jump into this. I need to see some evidence first. So, but anyway, I said, I don't really, I don't have a ton of money. He's like, whatever, pay me whatever. So he sat down and he, um, he told me a bunch of stuff, like crazy things about my past lives and how I was a tree in my last life. Um, and, and he said, you're going to go to school in the South and whatever path you think you are on right now, you know, that's not the path for you. And then he also said, and this is a strange aside, but uh, a couple days before he'd come to town, I had been in the doctor because I'd been a raw foodist for a while in Vancouver, which was cold and wet in the wintertime. And I had become very cold and wet kind of internally in my body system. And I had developed cysts like all over my body and I'd gained a bunch of weight and I was really sick. And I'd gone to the doctor a couple days before and they'd found all these, these cysts or tumors or something. They didn't know what it was on my liver. And I was like, I'm dying. Like, this is the end of me. And I was really terrified. And he just looked at me and he's like, these health concerns, you're, you know, don't worry about it. They'll, they'll go away. And I, I mean, I had said nothing to this guy. He'd only looked at my hand. And uh, yeah, he said, you're going to go to school in the South and your future path is going to be in establishing new educational systems for the, you know, future world in a sense or something. It, was, it all sounded pretty cool and that I was you know, called to this work as a healer. And, um, and I thought, well, that sounds nice, but I'm going to naturopathic school. And I think that, you know, like, I don't know, it's, I was like, it's south, sort of south of Vancouver of where we are, but... I didn't think much of it, but it was like maybe two days later and one of the women who worked at the yoga studio came into work and she stopped and she looked at me and she was like, 
you have to go to this school and pulled up this school that she'd been looking at um, called the California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco and showed me this program in integrative medicine, integrative healing, and was like, this is the program for you. And it was crazy. Like it was, again, this like click. Yes, uh, this is what I need to be doing. And um, I like within, I think, two months, I'd applied, got accepted, was getting everything together, you know, and then was getting ready to leave. And and it was about six months later, Singh Modi um, was brought back to the yoga studio. And again, he rubbed my palm and he's like, oh, when are you leaving? And, you know, again, this guy had no idea, no interaction with him whatsoever beyond these two instances. And he was like, okay, so you're going south, you know, like, is it is it happening now? And so, yeah, I took off to San Francisco and I started pursuing a master's degree in integrative healing there. And I mean, you know, those of you who've been to San Francisco, like it is just this like epicenter of everything, what I, what I found to be everything magical, you know, like these yoga classes I would go to. I did yoga like every single day for a year, I think, or something crazy. And um, and just like the healing opportunities and the workshops and the music. And I just, I went like full on San Francisco for the first while. I also, I mean, I, I was, I was in this major personal transformation process. So I would spend a lot of time by myself sitting in Golden Gate Park, quite honestly, like smoking weed and reading books and tripping out on like strange metaphysical concepts, um, which is like the perfect place to do it. But I, uh, yeah, it was just like this amazing place of discovering, you know, and, and fortifying and, and solidifying all of these kind of ideas that I'd been coming across um, in, in my life in Vancouver just before, you know. And at some point, I think it was in my second semester, there was this woman in my program, flaming red hair, tiny little Hispanic woman who I just really didn't like, you know, like right away I was like, oh, this person just, she was always talking and she was just like really loud and would take up a lot of space in the classrooms and stuff. But I'd heard that she was a shamanic practitioner. And so like little parts of my ears went up and I was like, oh, I wonder, you know, what, uh, what she's like or what that practice is like. And I didn't really have much interaction with her. And then I got this phone call one night and you know, it was her. And she said, okay, CL, you need to meet me. You know, I, I have a message for you and let's uh, set up a time to connect. And so we set up to meet at this coffee shop in Coal Valley in San Francisco and I arrived there and she's sitting at the table and there's like, there's like a pendulum and a bunch of crystals and a bunch of mapacho cigarettes. And, um, and she's sitting there and she's like, these are gifts for you. I'm supposed to be your teacher. I've been told that I am supposed to be your teacher. And she said, um, I don't want to be your teacher. I don't like you. <laughs> I don't really want to be anybody's teacher. I don't know why I have to do this. It's not what I want to do. Um, and she said, you know, I am a piece of shit was the exact words she used. And I'm always going to be a piece of shit. And if you try to change me, then I will drop you. And I was a fairy in my last life. And so I'm, you know... I can't remember how she phrased it, but basically like just put up with my behavior or we don't have a relationship basically. And I was like, what in the shit? Like, how am I supposed to navigate this, this process, this experience? But at the same time going, oh my God, this is so cool. Like, why me? Like, why, why did you get this message? And she was like, I don't know. You know, I mean, you, 
she said, you just, you need to learn these things. You need to be a shamanic practitioner. And so I started an apprenticeship with her um, and while doing my master's degree and studied with her for um, the next five years, actually. And it took about two and a half years of study with her before I was formally initiated into her lineage, her lineage being um, Aymara. And so she is from Bolivia and she was taught by the indigenous Aymara um, medicine men. And their lineage, though, too, I can't remember actually how it's her connection. So she is, um, some of her family is from the Basque region, and she is connected to the lineage of Horus, um, which is the lineage of sound healers and of um, those who seek to bring beauty to the world. And that's very much, that is, that is my lineage now. Um, so when I was formally initiated in, I think, 2012, 12 or 11, um, you take a, a commitment to always do this practice and and to always um, dedicate yourself to the healing of other people and to the expansion of consciousness as is the pursuit of the, the shamanic work. And yeah, it, I can't say that it was a, an easy apprenticeship. Um, again, I think her reticence, um, her hesitance in, in teaching me showed up sometimes because she'd just be like, well, just do it, you know, and she was a wonderful teacher in some ways, but also um, I was her first student and she took two other apprentices after me. Uh, but towards the end of me, I was finishing my degree and um, I was living with a family and help babysitting with their kids at the time. And I had this, I mean, I'd had experiences with her um, understanding how powerful she is and, and was. She's still alive, but um, but this this day I was driving home with the two youngest kids of this family and my phone rang and it was her and I picked it up and I illegally and said, hey, I'm just driving, like, can I call you when I get home? And she said, no, 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 I need to talk to you right now. Pull over. So I pulled over and she said, listen, when you get home, I'm, because she would watch me like this. I know how crazy this seems, but this woman could see inside of people's bodies. Like we would be sitting in a workshop and she'd go, that woman has cancer. And sure enough, like two months later, it would be announced that, you know, someone had cancer that she could see. She could see everything in people's bodies and she could see me. She's like, wherever you are, I can download basically where you were at and what you're doing and everything else. So she could see me driving, I suppose, in this vehicle. And she said, pull over. Um, and she said, when you get home, something is going to happen that is going to change. It's going to direct the course of the next three years of your life. If you respond with fear, the next three years of your life are going to be extremely difficult and things are going to be crazy and, and very, very hard. If you respond with faith, the next three years of your life are still going to be transformative, but they're going to be very meaningful and like, you know, this this experience of, of healing and, and sort of wisdom that is going to emerge out of them. And I mean, I'm just like terrified, like what is going to happen when I get home? Because I was, I was having this really uncomfortable experience with um, the mom from the family that I was living with. And we'd had this like conflict and stuff of I'd quit my job. I was planning to move out at the end of the month and she wanted me to stay longer. And it was this big conflict because I'd already taken another job and blah, blah, blah. It was, it was all chaotic and stuff. And so we were kind of in a fight about this. 
And so anyways, I drove back to the house and I got in the house and the kids went into the playroom and the mom came down and she said, KCL, if you, you have two options, you can either, um, stay until when she needed me, which I think was like June 9th or something. And this was like May 16th. And she said, you can stay till I need you or you can leave today. And I had no money and I had no place to go. I, you know, I'd, I'd found a place for June 1st, but this was like midway through the month and I was absolutely terrified. Um, and you know, just dumbfounded because like if I stayed till the ninth I'd lose this other job that I'd I'd been offered and it was a very bad situation but I remember these words I mean having a teacher for me was like having a like a fairy godmother in that sense and um, I mean I was so grateful to this but I just centered myself and said okay I will leave today then you know and I just walked upstairs and went to go pack my stuff and I was upstairs in my room going, I'm packing and I have nowhere to go. I don't have a car. I don't have anything, you know. And and my phone rang and it was a friend from school. And she said, I know you normally, you know, are, are busy on the weekends, but we're going rock climbing for the weekend. Would you like to come with us? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> sure. I don't have anything else to do, you know. And I thought, might as well. Um, and this was on a, I, I think, on a Wednesday and they were leaving on the Thursday. And so I said, sure, absolutely. I'll, I'll go with you. And um, this same friend, we were going to move in together in San Francisco in this place on June 1st. And so I told her what had happened. And she said, well, why don't you call those girls and just see, you know, the girls who are living in this place that we're going to move into and see if you could, I don't know, like store your stuff there or something. And and I called them and they're like, oh, actually, yeah, one of our other roommates moved out early and you can move in on Monday if you want. Um, and you can store your stuff here over the weekend, you know, if you're going rock climbing. I was like, sweet, like, okay, then I will do that. And it all seemed to be like click, click, click into place. And then I called this other babysitting gig that I was taking on. And um, the, I said, you know, I am I know I was supposed to start June 1st, but if you guys need me, you know, like I, I don't have a job as of, of right now, so I could start on Monday. And they were like, oh, our nanny just quit. And she had to leave early. She was going to some school. And so she left earlier than expected. We would love for you to be working with us on Monday. And it was like the... If I could summarize in, in a very simple way, would I experience the purpose and the magic of shamanic medicine is the re-entry into faith, faith with ourselves, faith in the natural world, faith in our bodies, faith in the system. And this is not faith that nothing is ever going to go wrong. It's not faith that we're not going to die. We're not going to get sick. We have to deal with those realities. But this is faith that like, that there's a meaningful kind of process at play, you know, in, in the circumstances, in the, in the experiences of our life and the karmic offerings, you know, of people and, and things that are drawn towards us. And in that moment, like it was just this like, whoom, like, whammy experience for me of going, I can trust things. Like I can trust, I don't have to be afraid. You know, as I, I said, I was, if there's a, an a energy that has followed me my entire life, it's been one, that of fear and anxiety. And it was just this dropping of it in that moment of going, it's okay. You know, like I, I can trust. 
And uh, this is not to set up that like nah, nothing else ever bad happened ever again, and I was always living in faith forever and ever, and that did not happen. But that it was this r- immense, you know, commitment in that moment to my teacher, to this lineage, to this practice, you know, in really believing that this was this is my path, and and I, I knew it already, but it you know there has been nothing but that kind of solidification since that time, you know, of like going through really difficult experiences and then having wisdom offered through, you know, the appearance of an animal in my life or a message from my body or a message from the elements or something to remind me that I can live with faith, can live from a place of faith with the entire system and and not be closing down with the, the, the energy of fear all the time. So, so yeah, I, um, I left San Francisco after I graduated. I did an internship in France at a meditation center there for a while. I ended up getting Lyme disease, which was, you know, the, the craziest thing in many ways. And I was very sick for quite a while. But as my sister, or my sister, my teacher had predicted, it was a, a meaningful chaos. It was a transformative chaos that brought so much understanding, this further understanding of, of faith, further understanding of what it means to really be present to and and open to what is happening in my life. Um, and it also brought me home, which was really interesting because I went back to San Francisco to heal and then I came home for a visit one summer to visit my sister and her husband, and all my symptoms went away sitting in nature. And I was like, wait a second, there's something here. And I went back to San Francisco, and all my symptoms came back. And I'm not saying San Francisco is some toxic place, but um, I think for me it was more that I had come back to the land that knew me, and I knew the land, and my body feels at home here and it it really allowed me to do the deep healing work that wasn't I wasn't able to accomplish in San Francisco. So so yeah, I came home. Um I have studied with a Lakota chief as well, studied with a woman at a Tibetan um I mean, hi, she's a sound healer, Pomo. She died a few years ago. I've also had the beauty benefit of, of working with a, a Haida medicine man as well for a short time. It was based down in Victoria and have experienced many teachings from indigenous elders around this area. I work predominantly with um, indigenous communities right now in this area, which is such an incredible um, opportunity for learning. And yeah, I shamanic, shamanic medicine is not... It's not a job. I mean, it definitely is is the farthest thing from a job in the sort of stereotypical Western way of, of thinking of, of our jobs. Um, and I, it's weird. I suppose I hesitate in calling it a calling. I mean, I, I know that it's the niche that is CL-sized and I was meant to occupy in this in this lifetime. And I'm so indebted to teachers and to my guides and, you know, all of the the support that I've had in, in being able to occupy my niche, you know, but I think that that's what shamanic medicine is. I know that that's what it is for me is, is the practice of helping people and systems 
be in the niche they are meant to occupy. And I am not a, a fatalist, you know, or a, a determinist in that sense where it's like we don't have, you know, any other option. We do have options. We're allowed to do whatever we want, you know, but that there is a, a perfection in all of us, a perfection that includes our gifts and our talents and our perspectives and our, our experiences and there is a, a role that we're each to play, you know, and, and um, shamanic medicine is the practice of helping, encouraging and supporting people and systems in moving into that position, right? And it is the benefit of being a practitioner that you also simultaneously get to to have your own experience of that, you know, of, of being in your right space. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that makes sense to people. I, I think that kind of offers what I was intending to offer. I really would love if you have any questions about, you know, shamanic practice, there's so many amazing practitioners out there and so many amazing teachers. And I mean, the hard reality with the, this lineage, this, this medicine is that, I mean, I'm sure that there are many people in the world who would call me an appropriationist for saying I am a shamanic practitioner. The word shaman is is not it's not from North America. It is the Tunguska language, you know, and even that is an appropriation to call ourselves that. Um, I am not an indigenous person. I've got 0.6% Portuguese genetic lineage, and the rest of me is like as white as you could possibly get. Um, I did a genetic test. I was really hoping that, like, I had some sort of, like, I don't know, ancestral um, something other than British people. But no offense to Britain, but like, I, I don't. And we're just and and France. That's that's all I am. But that was actually one of the hardest things with my teacher when she first came to me and said, "This is your medicine." And even that medicine man from Oaxaca, you know, I was like, "I'm white. Like, I don't I don't know this stuff." Like, and they didn't have any problems with it and and I you know I've I think relinquished that as a an issue in my own experience I do this practice and take on this role with great reverence and respect for the teachings and the lineages that I have been initiated and the lineage that I've been initiated into but the lineages that I've been taught by um, and I believe that we, we all can come to this kind of medicine, you know, if there is reverence and respect for it and not a sense of ownership. I am, I don't own any of the medicine that I've been taught by any means. Um, I do think though, I, I know from my, especially from my Haida teacher, you know, he is the, the last medicine man of his lineage because he was hidden from the Canadian government when they were coming to take the kids for residential school, you know, because his grandfather was the medicine man for his his tribe. And he, there's nobody after him, you know, and so he teaches people because they want to learn, because they're interested in, in what this medicine has to offer us. And in our sort of modern world, you know, we those indigenous, those lineages of, of medicine people have been broken very deliberately through colonization. And so, you know, we instead might feel this call to this practice as like just a general interest and this like intense curiosity. And then we go and take a workshop with some teacher out there, you know, and, and I don't think um, it's always maybe, you know, the 
the opportunity to interact with shamanic practice is always going to take the form of a teacher dropping in our lives because I don't think that there's, I know that there's not that many teachers, you know, and not that many lineages that have survived intact. So I think that the kind of blossoming of interest in shamanic practice and the availability of workshops and, you know, every online offerings, you know, is, is really exciting and really beautiful. I think that we have to always remain respectful of the difference between being a shaman and a, a shamanic practitioner. And maybe that's a conversation for another episode. We have to remain respectful of the codes of conduct of shamanic work. Um, also maybe another episode, you know, and, and we have to, shamanic practice is about personal integrity, right? It is the opposite of what dictated so much of my early life, which was live for the outside world, for what other people think of you, how you are perceived, you know, what, what your physical image is. It's, it is the practice of impeccability, of, of living according to our, our system of inner authority, you know, and, and always keeping ourselves absolutely 100% accountable to living within those, those systems of integrity. And that, I think, you know, as a practice for all people, even if we do not intend to be healers, you know, is, is one of the most beautiful things that shamanic practice offers us is this re-centering in this very material world that we live in, you know, this re-centering of your awareness on how are you showing up? Are you speaking impeccably, acting impeccably, you know, working with compassion, working with gratitude, all of these tools that we've referenced previously, Um I think that we can use shamanic medicine as tools for healing ourselves as well as we can use it for, um, hopefully, and I think we are, healing uh, the outside world and healing our relationship to the entire system. So I thank you for listening. Um, I hope it was interesting. Um, that was a, a long amount of talking. I'm going to go get a glass of water now. But uh, I will will be back here, most likely with Allison, or, um, thinking about maybe bringing some guests onto the podcast too. So please reach out if you have any questions. And uh, and yeah, thanks again. Bye. The Knowing is an IntelliKey production and was recorded and produced on the traditional unceded territory of the Northern Sequipnik people. All music, editing, and production by Brent Morton at Bell Tower Audio. May our hearts and minds remain open. May we meet this day with equanimity and compassion. And may we remember our belonging to this earth, to each other, and to all that is.